Hello everyone. Hope you're all doing well and you have been mindful of your health in the past few weeks and months. In addition to following social distancing practices, I hope you are finding time to eat well and exercise. Good health starts with your individual daily choices. In this episode, my guests and I talk about how blockchain is improving supply chain networks in the pharmaceutical industry. Most people don't think of how their drugs end up in their local pharmacies. There are complex and important paths each batch of drugs is expected to take from the manufacturer to the downstream distributors. Suzanne Somerville is the founder of the Decentralized MediLedger Network and CEO of Chronicled. She's trailblazing a path for pharma companies to use blockchain tech in a way that will improve their supply chain operations and revenue management processes. Specifically, MediLedger offers a product verification system that makes it easier to prove that a return drug is authentic. A few of the current working group members and partners include Genentech, Bayer, Pfizer, PwC, SAP, Deloitte, IQVIA, GS1, and Walmart. I am very impressed by the progress Suzanne and her team have displayed thus far. I think I may actually have a professional crush on Suzanne, especially since we both share a similar academic background. We both have chemical engineering degrees and MBAs. Her positivity and humble optimism inspires me to stay focused and remember that anything is possible if you believe in it. I really enjoyed speaking with her and I hope you all enjoy this episode. I want to thank my Telegram community who recommended I speak to Suzanne on Health Unchained. I especially want to thank Bert Miller and Chris Shane Weirig, who both have newsletters covering the industry. I posted links to their newsletters in the show notes. Please check it out. Remember, the Health Unchained podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only, and we are not providing any sort of legal, financial, or medical advice. Please do your own research and due diligence before making any important decisions related to these matters. And now let's get to the show. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I will be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? blockchain. What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome to Health Unchained. I'm so excited to introduce today's guest, Suzanne Somerville. Suzanne is the CEO of Chronicled, founded in 2014 with the hopes of building the ultimate enterprise blockchain platform. And more recently, in 2017, she founded the MediLedger Network, one of the largest and most active healthcare blockchain consortiums. Before getting mixed up in the blockchain world, she also worked at Genentech and Roach Pharma, leading supply chain planning and management. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining me today. Ray, so glad to be here. Before we get started, actually, would you mind sharing a brief summary of your background so that the audience has some context of who you are? Yeah, I actually uh, have an industry career in biotech and pharma management, supply chain management in particular. Um, Like you said, uh, I used to work at Genentech running their supply chain operations for North America. And I've run a clinical supply chain for Roche worldwide. Um, I have a background in engineering um, and found out that I wasn't a great engineer. And so went back to school and got my MBA. 
And I think supply chain is just the most fascinating topic. It's literally uh, the component of company that has to touch virtually every department inside the company and also requires connecting to trading partners outside of the company. So super complex problems um, and uh, the need to connect and collaborate with uh, other people and other companies, which I think actually may be part of the underlying um, magic that has attracted me to blockchain um, because blockchain really requires cooperation and collaboration among parties to be beneficial for everyone. You know, I noticed that you're also a chemical engineer, so uh, any of MBA, like you mentioned, which is very similar to what I also did. I have a chemical engineering degree and an MBA too. So following in your footsteps, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, I kind of want to talk more about these companies. So Chronicled, MediLedger, what is the value proposition? What are you trying to solve with these companies and networks? So Chronicled um, has been around since 2014. Um, and their initial work uh, was focused on supply chain use cases that could be benefited by the use of blockchain. At the time, the technology was still relatively nascent in the enterprise setting. Um, and they did a lot of really fascinating exploration, starting actually with collectible sneakers. There's a huge counterfeit market. Um, and so exploring, was there a way to use blockchain and IoT to help uh, control that counterfeit problem? Uh, They also dabbled in use cases in art provenance. And uh, actually, Chronicled has a license deal tracking gold from the mine all the way to the vault. But really, uh, in that whole exploration is when my paths crossed Chronicled back in 2016. um, And it seemed like a really great fit. There's really uh, important use cases in healthcare that were emerging. Um, and with their expertise on how to leverage the technology and maybe most importantly, where the technology should be used and where it shouldn't be used. Um, we had great conversations um, of what might be possible and joined forces in later 2016 uh, to kick off a working group, which was, uh, as you said, initially named the Metal Ledger Project to bring major players in the pharmaceutical industry together to explore how blockchain might be um, a, a useful technology um, in the track and trace regulations that the industry was facing. Understood. Um, not to add to your, I guess, resume here, but you are also the founder of the Link Lab, and which is also related to the work that you're doing now. So you want to talk a little bit about what that was or is? Yeah, the Link Lab was the consulting practice, practice I kicked off in early 2016 with Eric Garvin. We were helping companies implement serialization Uh, I would say with the technologies and solutions that existed. Um, And when we chose to do that, a bunch of people in our network pinged us and said, hey, you should look at this blockchain thing because the law that we were helping companies uh, uh, gain compliance with states that by 2023, there will be an electronic interoperable system to manage the track and trace of prescription medicine in the United States for suspect product. So it was really, I would say, strange and I think I lead a relatively lucky life as it is, but to be, uh, to have this level of expertise in uh, serialization, what it takes companies to implement and comply in the law, coupled with this new technology that just seemed um, uh, fortuitously an amazing opportunity for an industry that was going to need to be interoperable, to be able to do that and yet still operate in a decentralized fashion. 
there's not a lot of appetite in the industry to have a central database that holds all this information. It's a, it would be an enormous honeypot um, to attract hackers. Um, and so could we create and use blockchain to allow compliance with this law, the Drug Supply Chain Security Act, um, while still allowing companies to manage and operate their own data and their own transactions? Okay, so I have two follow-up questions to that. One is what other projects are going on that are addressing the issues, the same, um, same problem? And then when exactly and how did you hear about blockchain? You mentioned some people told you about it while you were at Link Lab, but what exactly is the story there? So um, there are other projects looking to tackle this 2023 solution. There's actually industry groups that we're participating with that are working with the industry companies as well to define blockchain is not the only way that can, this problem can be solved. Um, so um, I think it's really fruitful to have it in the conversation because frankly, a lot of things, a lot of technology people don't even think is possible because they've never seen it before. So blockchain has really, I think, broadened the conversation amongst the industry participants. But the uh, first mentions of blockchain came, like I said, folks at our network, actually multiple folks at the same time said, you should look at this. And what makes that an even funnier story is I'd never heard the word before, right? This is early 2016. And my husband is a retired systems architect. So there we are at the dinner table. And I mentioned this thing I'd heard of and what little I understood of it. And he's like, you know, distributed databases have been around for a long time. This is nothing new. Hmm. You guys are just a hammer looking for a nail. And honestly, I probably have a good year's worth of dinner conversations with my husband of just being the complete naysayer on the technology and what's possible. I think he's come around. He still has naysaying tendencies, um, but it was a great education for himself and myself to really dig deeper into blockchain and understand what all these crazy people were thinking and how there are so many people who believe it'll change the world and what might be possible. Because it's certainly true. I think the hard part is taking blockchain from its idealistic ideas and translating that into real life usage and real life benefit. There's a there's a gap between those two. And it's hard if you keep dreaming to come back down to reality to know how business actually operates, how you actually need to take the first steps in ways that maybe compromise a lot of the idealistic vision of what people think blockchain should be. I see. And, you know, you're right. So blockchain is not just a technology, but it's actually, uh, you know, the network and the governance behind it that is what makes it powerful and useful. And I think what you've done with MediaLedger and Chronicle is actually starting to develop uh, those communities and networks and the people and, and the environments and standards that are required for it to actually or possibly be even successful. So kudos mm -hmm. to you for, for working on that. How do you think the COVID-19 pandemic is impacting healthcare supply chains, maybe specifically within pharma. And we can like not have to talk about medical devices or anything, but just within yeah. pharma. So here's a funny side story. And I just spoke with someone literally yesterday about this. When you look at industries that are liked or disliked by the public, hmm. pharma has historically ranked last. People don't trust them. They charge too much for their drugs. They are not a very well-liked industry. And what COVID, I think, has highlighted is a lot of the work that goes on unseen to make sure drugs and supplies are in the right place 
it certainly has highlighted some of the weaknesses, but it's also highlighted a lot of the tremendous work and commitment that these companies do on a day-to-day basis to ensure that our healthcare needs are, are met and covered. So I think people, the industry's gotten a little bump up with the response. Um, certainly the discussion, let's say of PPE and its availability, I think all of us uh, as, an, as, a, as a society have gotten more aware of demand and supply when we look at the toilet paper that's missing at the supermarket shelf um, and the complexities behind it. Um, so I think COVID has really stressed a lot of the risk management um, and planning, but it's also presented a lot of opportunities to see the industry really pulling together to deliver. I know people are wanting more transparency. People are wanting more connected systems to be able to respond better to demand and supply permutations in the future. Should we expect pharma to plan for pandemic-like situations, I would argue it's probably causing the planning people in the farm industry to, to, to reflect a little bit more how they can provide resiliency. But at the same time, the resiliency, I want supplies not just in China, I want manufacturing in the US, that all comes at, at a cost. So I think people are looking to say, what and how can we plan better and differently? And certainly one of the opportunities is can we connect demand signals more deeply into the supply planning engines at these pharma companies without necessarily revealing confidential business intelligence, but enabling companies to do their jobs better. So I'm hearing that on all fronts, and I think it's an exciting opportunity. It's also the chance for all these companies that no offense are slightly slow moving to propel some of the progress on digital transformation that they so desperately need. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're right. We Most of us do demand this transparency that you speak of. But I do think there are some players or some stakeholders that are still benefiting or profiting from, um, you know, you know, holding on to that information or having like a wall be- behind all the data. Mm-hmm. And do you think that that is a challenge? And how much of a challenge is it? It is a challenge. However, I just had a, another conversation with an analyst about this. I think as piece by piece, we can create solutions that drive business value. The innovation that will now occur on those pieces will bit by bit drive that transparency, right? When we think of controls and can we, let's say, disintermediate this party or that party, I think that's less the concern. But I do think as data becomes um, more easily available, Mm-hmm. as data sets are connected, we're going to be able to do stuff in the future that we weren't today. And it will, I think, in places inadvertently drive the disruption of um, of strangleholds that certain components of the, of the healthcare supply chain have on certain sets of data. I think it's just inevitable. Um, my husband and I were just talking about our smartphones. Mm-hmm. I don't think Kodak saw it coming that cameras and film were going away. <laughs> You know, uh, I don't think they could have stopped uh, smartphones from happening, but that's inadvertently what happened. I think similar things will happen as data becomes better connected and more available in the healthcare industry. For sure. I mean, there are Bitcoin fans and cryptocurrency fanatics who also think, you know, governments didn't expect a world currency to come out 
So I think that might, um, I mean, that's a little bit more broader and it could take a lot longer than maybe the replacement of Kodak. <laughs> but um, I think I see parallels there too. Maybe on that, Ray, that's one of the criticisms we get. Does Chronicle control the Metal Ledger network? That's not true blockchain. Blockchain should be truly decentralized. Frankly, Bitcoin has folks who are managing the code. They have folks overseeing that things run smoothly. That's really the role that Chronicle wants to play. Um, the software doesn't sort of jump off the shelves by itself. And the complexities in healthcare, again, are gonna take steps between here and there. So our intention is to build uh, solutions that solve business problems in healthcare. We would like to be the steward of that network. Uh, we want to build the software for the network um, but I think it will continue to grow. And I think future governance can be more and more decentralized. But in all honesty, enterprises are not in the business to build software. They just want support and help. And our goal is to honestly put industry first and make sure this provides the opportunity that everyone can uh, derive savings um, while at the same time providing, I'll call it strategic neutrality. It's literally what we think we're building is a sort of good plumbing um, that makes it easier to exchange data, validate data. Um, and then from that good plumbing, the strategic uh, differentiator will come from folks who best and fast, most most quickly figure out how to leverage the technology to possibly do business in new ways. Yeah, and so you mentioned, um, well, I saw on your website actually, it said that Chronicle would like to be or is trying to be the custodian of the MediLedger network. So can you just go deeper into that? What do you mean by the custodian of the MediLedger network? Right. So in the enterprise space, um, if we use Bitcoin as a counterexample, right? Bitcoin in theory is not managed or run by anyone, um, but there is a huge, uh, uh, I would say, uh, group of developers, like I said, who are watching over and caring for the code. And there's a lot of passionate people who want it to work. Um, in the healthcare industry, again, the companies we're working with are focused on building, you know, making drugs and delivering drugs, they're not uh, coders and they're not a community of coders who are going to be uh, tending to code. So uh, we believe the, the first pass at enterprise blockchain solutions will come in the form of permission networks. And those permission networks need someone to onboard members into the network, identify they are who they say they are, Enterprises are not going to be interested to be doing transactions with anonymous parties. That's just not how business is done. Mm -hmm. um, and so there needs to be a, a steward or a network manager who plays that role. There needs to be a network manager who's watching over to make sure the software is working like it's supposed to. There, we believe there needs to be a network manager that there's not inappropriate activity or behavior. Um, and so I would say in the initial phases that that role is required and chronicled is excited to be able to play that role for the industry. It doesn't preclude the future of public networks and it doesn't preclude the future of further and further decentralization. If there was an identity management solution today that identified all companies, identified parties, identified people, we would be thrilled to take advantage of that, but they don't exist yet. So it still has to happen manually. And it's one of the pieces that we can do manually get blockchain working for these companies. And over time, then we can replace those manual pieces with automated decentralized pieces as well. 
Yeah, I think there's so many groups and people trying to work on this decentralized identity uh, part of the blockchain ecosystem. So um, I hope that we will find a solution that works and is scalable. Um, And, you know, I think that makes sense that you're starting off with a permissioned network and then over time possibly becoming more decentralized. So when thinking about supply chain in general uh, for, you know, the pharma industry and just trying to think of all the use cases, you have data entry, track and tracing, temperature monitoring for, you know, pharmaceuticals that are being shipped. Mm-hmm. Fraud is and counterfeits are definitely a problem. So out of these use cases and others, which use case is most fitting for a decentralized ledger technology? That is such a complicated question, Ray. I think it really comes down to evaluating the business problem, what solutions exist, uh, what solutions could exist without blockchain. Um, I'll say the criteria we look for are number one, um, is it a multi-party process of which there is uh, misaligned data or misaligned business rules? The revenue management space has a lot of that. So those are attractive use cases to go after. We certainly have the regulation requiring industry interoperability. That also has an attractive feature because the industry in principle doesn't want, like I said, a central database as a honeypot to put all their data in one spot. Um, We also look at use cases that require an immutable record. Um, There's a lot of really interesting raw material management, uh, quality release, like you said, on temperature monitoring, that could all be automated um, and provide an immutable record, which is part of the requirements for drug manufacturers when they report to FDA, let's say their batch records or their records of um, information from contract manufacturers. So we, we really are, at least I would say initially looking, where's their problem that needs to be solved? Where is there a problem that isn't been solved very easily to date? Maybe the last thing I'll add, Ray, we're looking and maybe we're crazy for it. We want to build industry protocols, right? Protocols that everyone in the industry can participate in, everyone can benefit from. And one of the examples I often give um, of a protocol we all use every day, Ray, is driving your car, right? It's not just a set of standards. It's not just a specification. Driving your car has a whole set of rules, right? And that we have all in society, for the most part, agreed to follow, right? In this country, we all drive on the right-hand side. We stop at stop signs, right? Um, And by the fact that we've all as society agreed to this society-level protocol, it's enabled cities to grow, commerce to grow long distances. The value everyone got out of this this society protocol, everyone won. Maybe... Maybe horses and stables didn't win. I don't know. (laughs) But everyone principally won. I'm sure there were a few people who were disintermediated by it. Um, And that's what we aspire for. What are protocols that everyone in the industry can neutrally benefit from is probably where we're starting because then that'll bring the industry together. Once the industry is together in the network, then it can open up for use cases that maybe you didn't need blockchain for, but maybe you benefit by having much easier peer-to-peer communication we're looking at the, the full EDI library, which is how the industry today communicates data and transactions. Um, and that could become much easier, much more real time, no middleman, no EDI hubs that need to sit in between anymore. 
Um, and that's exciting because EDI, frankly, is a technology invented before the internet and really outdated. And this industry deserves to have um, modern day technology to run the business. Right. And I have watched your YouTube channel and I've watched your webinars and you already are working with some industry leaders. So you're working with the Health Industry Business Communications Council. So I think you're, which is an organization that is building standards for what you're working on. So do you want to talk about some of the organizations that are currently on board uh, that are helping you develop this network? So we've been working with the major wholesalers and manufacturers. They're certainly listed on our website, but the likes of McKesson, Amerisource, Bergen and Cardinal on the wholesaler side, we're really proud of our collaboration with Pfizer, Amgen, Gilead, Genentech, amongst others. Um, but I actually have to say, part of what I'm most proud of is the support of the industry standards bodies. None of this is gonna work without standards. Um, and so GS1, who's been driving a lot of the standards in the industry for product identification, uh, uh, messaging standards, um, we, we look to the companies we work with to tell us which standards they need and they use, and our solutions then become um, uh, uh, managed to those standards. Uh, Hibic um, is also uh, working with us. They provide HIN numbers, health identification numbers, um, that are proving, uh, that are important in the identification of, of customers in the industry. What we've actually found in our exploration is there's a lot of great uh, standards um, and specifications, but a lot of them were built for other purposes and then sort of pulled into other business use cases. And it's actually what's causing part of the pain points. They're not built for the specific business that they're being applied for today. So unpacking exactly how these identifiers support the business processes and what additional work is required to ensure, for example, a manufacturer, wholesaler, and group purchasing organization are all talking about the same customer when the purpose of the identifier is very different. One might be because they want to know who to ship it to, ship product to. One might be more interested in who they bill, right? Others may be because of a uh, doctor relationship to a clinic. Um, and so really unpacking why identifiers were built the way they are and how they're used has been part of the magic that once we have companies connected in a network, we can do a lot more exciting rule enforcement to make sure they're talking about the same customer and they have the same intention for the business that's taking place. Welcome to the Health Unchained News Corner. The COVID-19 pandemic has highlighted how genetic data may reveal susceptibility to certain diseases. On June 8, 2020, 23andMe announced it has been conducting research studies to determine if blood type is associated with lower risk of infections or symptoms for COVID-19. In a person's DNA, a thymine base on their ABO gene determines if that person has blood type O. Early results suggest individuals with O blood type are between 9 to 18% less likely than individuals with other blood types to have tested positive for COVID-19. This research study is continuing to grow and people are beginning to reconsider the role of genetic data in our digital world. How will we value data that can fuel science 
and helps us diagnose and treat more effectively. Many people are wondering how or if individuals will be compensated for all the data they produce, especially healthcare data. Blockchain allows for decentralized ecosystems that can become self-sustaining data exchanges. Community leaders are very keen on the topic of decentralized identity and privacy-preserving technologies that can support concepts like data cooperatives. I can see similar studies happening using blockchain-based genetic data companies. Check out my SoundCloud playlist for a list of episodes pertaining to this topic. And now back to the show with Suzanne Somerville, CEO of MediLedger. In some of your videos, I saw that you had a way or a method for customer mapping and the customer mapping process and how different trading partners can align. Do you want to speak a little bit about that and how your approach works? Yeah. So that was one of the complexities when we first started tackling the revenue management. I would say we um, naively started where I think many other people started, which is, oh, why isn't this working? We'll, we'll, we'll create a new identifier, right? And you don't need a, another one sort of crowding the marketplace. Um, and so what we did is really take time to listen to the companies, understand that the issue was around customer eligibility. So when we dialed back to say, how can we make sure we're all talking about the same customer? It went down to this mapping. It went down to sort of where is the core source of that customer's identity? And we chose to start actually at the manufacturer. They're the ones who are creating the contracts hmm. for their drugs. And we asked each manufacturer, which again, wasn't uniform. Maybe this manufacturer, the most important information was address and the HIN number. Maybe for this manufacturer, the most important information was zip code, DEA number, right? Or 340B and DEA combined. So we've actually enabled every manufacturer with what matters to them to start the core um, customer mapping and then be able to pull in or look at the other company's systems to find those matches. And at a core, we can now pick the one number that we identified never changes. And that number is the customer's ID for that record inside company's core ERP systems. So if we can go and make sure that those numbers match up, that they stay talking about the same customer, um, that is how uh, the solution works. On top of it, because we're connected directly to things like the um, HIBIC database, if there's any change in a HIN number that may affect a customer's eligibility for a contract, we can immediately notify all parties there's been a change and let the manufacturer uh, uh, inform if that's actually changed eligibility so everyone can act upon it at the same time. If you imagine in a world before blockchain, that information may come to everyone at three different periods of time. They all have sort of private conversations behind their four walls of what to do about it. And they don't necessarily notify all their other trading partners at the exact same time by creating a shared source of this information at the same time. We actually can short circuit that conversation. So people both get on the same page through the customer mapping and can stay on the same page as the data continues to change time so to challenge you there why does MediLedger need a blockchain and why can't we use a distributed database for that like you sort of mentioned right so what we're using blockchain for is a couple things um, first simply the information about who you are exchanging data with by registering these companies identities on a blockchain 
that cannot be changed mm -hmm. provides already a core piece of the functionality. Even though a lot of our solution relies on peer-to-peer -peer messaging, that peer-to-peer -peer messaging actually wouldn't be possible without their identities on the blockchain in our network. Again, if a decentralized identity management solution comes along, we are gonna be more than thrilled to access it. Um, in the meantime, we do that manual onboarding so that we know the companies that we're doing business with. Secondly, we, we characterize it, it's like putting your own private embassy behind your trading partner's firewall. What we've heard repeatedly is as these companies are exchanging data, they ask, hey, can you, can you let me know that the distributor put it in their core system? Can your solution show me that they did that? And our answer is you don't need to care anymore because in the case of revenue management, the manufacturer determines the price and the eligibility for a drug on a certain contract. The wholesaler has to execute against it. We use zero knowledge proofs. The wholesaler is gonna check, am I selling at the right price and the right eligibility? And if they don't, it actually stops the transaction from going back to the manufacturer. So the, the wholesaler needs to meet the manufacturer's requirements or it stops the transaction from being valid. So that's a blockchain mechanism, again, immutable. The manufacturer can't change the rules by themselves. The wholesaler can't change the rules by themselves. And, um, and it's really, a, again, a couple layers of use of blockchain that enable that to be possible. Understood. We'll, we'll get into the details of how, you know, the blockchain is built and the protocol you use. Um, but before we go there, I'm curious, you have a couple products currently or chronicled offers, product verification, mm -hmm. contracts and chargebacks. Do you want to just talk about what those products are and uh, what you're trying to provide for your clients? Yeah. So our product verification solution was built out of need from the Drug Supply Chain Security Act or regulation. Um, the law states that all drugs returned to a wholesaler will need to be verified before they can be resold. Um, and it represents over 2% of all drugs sold in the United States and requires connecting the 100 plus licensed distributors to the 800 plus licensed manufacturers. Um, and the larger wholesalers had an additional business requirement because their warehouses are so big, they needed the ability to scan a barcode and get an answer back in less than a second. And if you imagine these big warehouses are operating overnight to process all the orders and get the product shipped out in the morning. So there's not even someone they could call. And by our math, a single warehouse on a given night could have upwards of 20,000 drugs that are gonna need to be verified. So the subsecond requirement really was required to keep the train moving, right? So we developed a solution that is decentralized, allows a manufacturer to submit their item numbers, which are public, so they're in the clear, but they are controlled by the manufacturer themselves. No one else can fake being the manufacturer, again, through that onboarding, through their identity. Um, they're also gonna put on the blockchain a IP address, the place to go check the data against their database, that is uploaded locally to the wholesaler's node and then the wholesaler now locally can scan the barcode and now not interacting with the blockchain because of the speed required, goes to that IP address, checks the manufacturer database and gets an answer back in less than a second if the data elements are authentic. Uh, we've enabled this to be run by companies themselves. 
We've also enabled the companies that manage serial numbers for manufacturers to use the solution as well. It's an open platform. And so they now have integrated it with their solutions to provide their customers that service to meet uh, compliance with the verification law. So that's the first product we have. That is very interesting. Uh, you know, when you were talking about that, it reminded me of, have you heard of Good Shepherd Pharmacy? Uh, yeah. By Phil Baker in uh, Memphis. Yeah, because yeah, they're doing something, I wouldn't say similar, but what they're trying to do is allow people to donate some of their medicines that aren't used uh, to people who need them for either really yeah. cheap or for free. Um, so I can see what you're talking about being applied to their solution as well, in a way. Yeah. Maybe in a different network. What's super cool, Ray, that I'm super proud of, Mm -hmm. is um, two of the wholesalers are going to run the solution through SAP, um, who is running it for their customers. One of the wholesalers chose to set up the nodes themselves. And with them uh, moving greater than 92% of all drugs in the U.S., that means that the Metal Ledger Network will um, be part of verifying greater than probably 95% of all drugs resold in this country. That is amazing. That is something to be proud about. Yeah. Um, the enforcement of the law got delayed. It was supposed to take effect last November. Uh, it's now scheduled to take effect this November. Um, and so the solution is live and in production. Um, it's been tested. It's been tested with the other solution providers who are not in the Metal Ledger Network. And it's really exciting. Our hope is later this summer um, as the wholesalers get back in their warehouses um, and train their staff the volume of verifications will start to grow until the point that the entire industry is complying with the law. Interesting. During that testing process or pilot project, what sort of feedback were you getting or what kind of issues did you have to resolve for these manufacturers? So what was super interesting, and actually I would say really valuable learnings of a truly decentralized network, well, a couple things. Number one, Chronicles designed their solutions that we don't have access to companies' private data so I would say initially it made troubleshooting kind of hard because if we can't see their private data and we can't see what's going on, um, we can't really help troubleshoot. So we uh, asked very special permission to be able to watch some of the activities taking place so that we could help troubleshoot the system. The second part that was really valuable learnings was figuring out where, uh, when there were, um, I would say, um, issues and failure points, where was it because of the software and the protocol? And where was it because of infrastructure solution decisions? And that infrastructure decision could be very local, right? Mm -hmm. That was causing failures. So we did a lot of investigation and a lot of work with the companies hosting nodes in the network to really, I would say, collaborate on where was it infrastructure weaknesses on their part? Where was it on the, the protocol and continued the bug fixing for a period of a few months to get that all working correctly. And I'm also really appreciative of the other solution providers in this space, they're not blockchain based, who also collaborated in this testing to get this to happen for the industry. So the industry interoperability is there now. Uh, it's been a really exciting journey and it's taken, I would say, support and collaboration really broadly across the industry to get this to work. Can you clarify again what's happening in November, which uh, law will be start to be enforced? I just want to... Uh audience to yeah do. it's called uh the saleable returns verification and what states is that all drugs 
return to a wholesaler that are going to be resold, which represents, like I said, 2% of all drugs, need to be verified. And that verification, it's not a track and trace, it's not provenance, it's literally just hitting the manufacturer's database and checking four data elements, the item number, the lot number, the expiration date, and the serial number. So all prescription medicine in the US has a unique serial number. That's one of the elements that's checked, but all four have to exist in the manufacturer's database to be deemed authentic. Got it. Thank you for that. Uh, so mm -hmm. you talked about product verification. Can you talk a little about chargebacks and contracts? Yeah. So drugs in the United States, uh, I would say primarily, there's some variants, but primarily are sold from manufacturer to wholesaler at list price. The wholesaler is taking on the risk of that inventory, if you could imagine, and holding inventory uh, and selling to hospitals and pharmacies downstream. Those hospitals and pharmacies uh, often have joined what are called group purchasing organizations, uh, GPOs. It's sort of like the Costco of the healthcare industry, and they've negotiated a better price. Mm -hmm. And so if a box of medicine sells to the wholesaler at $100, these pharmacies who participate with this GPO may have negotiated an $80 price. So the wholesaler sells the drug for $80, and then asks the manufacturer for $20 back. It's called a chargeback and it's to make them whole. Hmm. The dilemma is um, there are a billion chargebacks in the industry every year, wow. 2.5 million every day. And the industry statistics range somewhere from three to 5% of all chargebacks end up in dispute. They don't agree. They don't agree the pricing isn't matched. The eligibility doesn't match. Like I described earlier, that customer mapping there's a lot of data elements and a lot of things changing all the time. Maybe a set of hospitals moves from one GPO to another. Maybe they move from one wholesaler to another. Maybe the price has changed. Maybe the clinic, the doctor in the clinic has moved from an emergency room clinic to a retail pharmacy and is no longer eligible for the pricing in that contract. All these changes need to be assimilated. And if you can imagine, the companies involved are all independently updating their systems in a silo, right? They're not coordinating the updating of their systems. That would just be impossible. So we built a solution that allows the companies to sit again in a peer-to-peer -peer network, access the same data as it's being updated, whether it's customer identifiers, whether it's product data, um, and enable peer-to-peer -peer messaging so that as information is new, real time, they can inform each other and they can check data as it's passing between parties. Is this meeting my rules, right? I'll make an example. Does the DEA license a valid license number? Mm. Is it an active license today? If it's not, don't send me the information. I only want customer information that has active DEA licenses. Um, and then at the tail end, when the chargeback takes place, the manufacturer stores along the way as any updates are made to the contract, the prices, the eligibility, they store a proof on the blockchain so that when the wholesaler goes to sell it two weeks, two months later to that hospital, they can check, am I selling at the right eligibility and the right price? And if so, then the chargeback is automatic to the manufacturer. The wholesaler knows it's gonna be honored. And if it's not, it's actually blocked. The manufacturer is not even bothered with the wrong information anymore. 
because it was checked against the blockchain and the latest state of the contract. So it sounds like there's a lot of cost savings here for these companies potentially, you know, in terms of like increased efficiency, less wasted resources, tracking down these disputes. So if a company wanted to be part of this network, what is like a typical cost to join MediLedger or what are the requirements if someone wanted to join the network? One thing before I tell you about that, I want to actually tell you a little anecdote. When we started our working groups, we had people in the room who actually do this chargeback process, who actually handle customer valuations, dispute resolution. And as we're describing what might be possible with our solution, I had that feeling in my stomach, uh-oh, you know, these are the people who might lose their job, right? These are the people who often make a career out of being that harrow who's the only person who knows all the complicated rules to solve this. So I'm watching these people in the room and what was so interesting, Ray, is the more we described what we wanted to do and what's possible, they were smiling more and more and more. They knew that the work they do is not as value added. It's, it's chasing, right, you know, bad information. It's email exchanges where you disagree, fighting with your trading partner. It's not value added, it's not positive. So to see the people who actually do the work every day getting more and more excited about what was possible, just it, it informed me, I knew we were onto something, right? Mm-hmm. So, so no one, no one takes pride in chasing uh, bad data and disputes. Everyone wanted to solve the problem. And I think that's another hallmark of the blockchain, uh, the, I'm sorry, the problems we're trying to solve. If you really have trading partners that are all invested in solving the problem, that's what's gonna work. A lot of people in the blockchain space have an amazing ideas of what's possible. And technically it's totally possible, but when you have a trading partner maybe who's going to be disintermediated or another party that is making money off of the way they hide data, they're not gonna participate. That's exactly. not where you start. So to your question then about what it takes, um, because the solution is now available, I will say uh, Chronicled and MetaLedger uses a working group format where we have companies participate in working groups and it does cost a little bit of money, but to participate in the design and development of the solutions, um, really informing what rules they want enforced. It's really the companies who are in the room who really get to drive and influence that solution design. But in the case of chargebacks, we're right now pivoting to launching the production network. Companies have set up the integrations who've been in the working group, they'll be testing the solution and the production network will go live this summer. So now the companies we're talking to, um, we're looking to see if they wanna participate in that commercial solution. And so it would be commercial uh, licensing the software um, to be able to set up their node and participate in the network. So any company that's interested should certainly call us. Uh, We're excited about the conversations that are ongoing right now and the excitement and enthusiasm in the industry. As as people have told me, when we've gotten on calls with people, again, who do this at new companies, they're often quite quiet on the phone. And by the end of the call, they're literally like, I've been waiting 20 years for this. Like, you know, I'm so excited at what this is going to solve. Yeah, well, I can see this being a standard itself. You know, you can imagine companies requiring any sort of parties that they work with to be on the MediLedger network, for example, sort of. Um, I wonder if that will turn it into some sort of monopoly. But I mean, 
in a way, you can't really look at it that way because it is potentially decentralized and distributed um, as it grows. And we've designed it as an open platform. So we actually, um, and we already with some of the solution providers who are using product verification, they've built value added services for their customers on top of our metro solution. Um, and our solutions are made up of what we call protocol primitives that sit in the network. They're sort of the pieces. Um, if you almost imagine little Lego pieces that put a solution together and in supply chain, there are things like uh, register an item, transfer an item. Um, and so our hope is once we really have um, the core solutions started and the architecture and stability of the network, that we can make those uh, protocol primitives available for developers to build even new um, and more solutions for the industry on top of. That's really cool. You know, something you mentioned earlier about how some of these solutions could be causing people to lose their jobs. And another mm -hmm. kind of use case I thought of that's similar is provider credentialing. There are a lot of people mm -hmm. doing manual work, reaching out to institutions, colleges, you know, universities and hospitals to make sure that a provider's truly who they say they are. And, mm -hmm. um, but I do know that that work is not that thrilling. So although they might be losing their job, I'm sure, or at least I hope that they can be repurposed to serve a different function in that same uh, sort of category. Um, yeah, actually everyone we've talked to, it is less about trimming jobs. It's absolutely about getting people to be able to work on the really higher value mm -hmm. strategic work. Um, and let the computers do the the routine and, and, and mundane. With the only caveat, I think what makes our solution interesting for myself is providing and connecting data, right? So the work they do today requires checking a whole variety of different data and then making a decision about eligibility. I don't know why, but there hasn't been a construct that has allowed all this data to sit together in one place in a secure way that again, competitors and trading partners can access that same data and make their business um, better. And that's really what we've done at the heart of it. That's awesome. So Suzanne, I wanna get deeper into this, uh, the blockchain that you use, how you store your data, what does it mean to be a node and what tools do you use for your smart contracts? So we can start yeah. maybe with a blockchain protocol that you are using. Talk about your tech stack. Right. So our initial work um, uh, chronicled in a lot of their exploration, tried really all the sort of major blockchain platforms to see pros and cons along the way. Uh, what we settled on when we had to make the decision to uh, really do the final coding for product verification is uh, we built it on uh, Parity's Ethereum client. What is really exciting is for our contract and chargeback solution is with Parity's uh, shift uh, to Substrate, we were actually building on Substrate. It's not on the Polkadot public network, uh, but we're using the Substrate uh, open source software and we're collaborating with Parity on really building out uh, that blockchain layer for our stack um, using Substrate, which is super exciting. It actually has a lot of implications about future ability to be interoperable with other blockchain networks and other solutions. Um, I realize that's very nascent right now. Again, a lot of really interesting ideas, um, but it's a great um, tech stack to work on and it's providing us actually really rapid development. 
and a lot of flexibility with a lot of interesting things we can do in the future. Yeah, I was going to ask if, you know, what would happen if Ethereum, for whatever reason, is unsuccessful? Would you still be able to survive? But it sounds like you would be able to leverage other blockchain protocols to run your platform anyways. Yeah. Um, again, we're not tied to any public uh, blockchains. We're a permissioned network. Um, it doesn't preclude in the future of it shifting to a public network if the technology emerges there. Again, for this industry, the importance of, I would say, information security. Mm -hmm. um, if CryptoKitties came along and flooded the network, right, that you couldn't have the transactions you needed, that really wouldn't serve this industry well. So maybe slightly overprotective uh, hen mother here, but uh, we're starting with a permission network that we can watch and make sure it behaves like it's supposed to. That's already complicated enough. And then we'll keep our eye on the technology and where the space goes and be able to adapt uh, what we're building to any future networks going forward. Got it. And how is the data stored or where is the various components yeah. of the data stored? So we've designed a metal ledger network. If you can imagine to have um, a couple different sections. So if a company sets up a node mm -hmm. uh, and we give them the software, they will have a section that is private only to their node. No one else has access to it except them. And it also allows a peer to, there's a peer-to-peer -peer interface. We're using libp2p as our messaging protocol that can communicate data and transactions to other companies directly and privately. No one else in the network would have any knowledge of that data exchange taking place. Chronicled wouldn't see it. Again, I want to emphasize, Chronicle does not have access to companies' private data. It literally will sit in their node, whether in their infrastructure, whether they've chosen to put it on-prem, whether they want to choose it in the cloud. They're the only ones who will have access and control of their private data. So I have a quick that question. Quick question yeah. there. So if they're the only ones that have access to that data, let's say there is a compliance rule where, you know, regulators would like to see that data for whatever reason. Would, you know, can you imagine it being possible to share that data with a compliance officers in an easy way? Is that like the goal here? Yeah. So a that's another funny story. Uh, we have designed um, a solution for that 2023 interoperability, which would be the change of ownership of medicine all the way from the manufacturer to the pharmacy. Um, what is unique is rather than having a central database, everyone on that private node side of their node would have their data of any transaction they were involved in, any drug they created, any drug they sold, um, any drug they received, right, sits in that private node. So we actually told the industry we could have FDA host a node in the network and they wouldn't have to worry about it because FDA would not have access to their private data. They would only have access to the blockchain data and the blockchain data is either public information today like item numbers or it's alphanumeric strings that are proofs um, that sit on the blockchain that mean nothing to anyone. To be clear, the industry was not really keen on having the FDA have a node in the network. I would say they like their arms distance relationship with the FDA. But what that could allow is exactly what you're asking. In today's world, when the FDA wants information from one of these companies, in principle, they have to subpoena the company for that information. So hmm. it could be automated, it could be manual, but the FDA could be part of the network. And again, through, let's say, a subpoena type process that's automated, they could request information and say, if anyone has information on box one, two, three, four, we would like to, you to share it with us. 
what would happen then is companies from their private data, which they only have access to, would willingly share, or their choice, that information about box 1234 with the FDA. They could do that through a peer-to-peer message with the FDA's node. But what makes it interesting is they would also provide the proof they stored on the blockchain, which proves to the FDA, to, FDA who has access to that data, that the company did not change their answer, right? Yeah, no tampering. So that they're telling the truth, no one changed the truth, and it's valid. So that's the construct we see of the role someone like FDA would play, that the private data stays private unless you decide to share it or you are compelled to share it with entities like the FDA or with your trading partners that you're doing business with. And then the last other part, the blockchain, uh, the MetaLedger node also then has that blockchain component. And the blockchain component, any data that is posted or transactions that are posted there are validated that it's meeting all the rules, all the smart contracts. And if it's valid, the transaction is registered on the blockchain and it's shared with all the other parties participating in the network. So that data, again, by design has or should not have any business intelligence so that competitors and trading partners feel safe being in a network together. but it, 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 like I said, like the, the example with FDA, it holds the logic so that, for example, FDA can check that no one changed the data, no one changed the answers um, uh, of the data that's being stored privately. Got it. What does the governance model look like for these groups and these uh, different nodes? Yeah. So a lot of people... Um, are really interested in governance. And again, I think, no offense to the blockchain community, a lot of people want um, truly autonomous governance. Mm-hmm. And I think we're not we're not quite ready for that yet. So uh, again, Chronicle facilitates these working group conversations. And while we're designing solutions, it is literally the companies that are participating in that working group that have governance rights. I'll be frankly honest with you though, the pharmaceutical industry, healthcare companies, are not necessarily all IT specialists. So there's certainly requirements that have to be met for their IT security, but they don't often have strong opinions about the design and architecture of a blockchain, right? They just want it to serve the purpose. Um, And of all the business rules we have discussed, there are literally next to none that are an argument. I only Mm. know of one business rule that one company didn't agree with and it was kind of sort of an outlier. Um, and, and that company eventually decided either to sort of slightly change their perspective. Um, but it's basic stuff like if if uh, drugs today in the US uh, have an NDC number, it's an item number. Mm-hmm. The global version of an NDC is called a G10, Global Trade Identification Number. Inside that NDC in the G10 is a company's GS1 company prefix. A company has to enroll for a GS1 prefix and then they get it. And when we onboard companies, they are associated with that prefix so that they are the only company that can control master data on the blockchain about their products. No company is going to disagree (laughs) that they want the rights to control someone else's item numbers, right? That's It's those kind of business rules that are just obvious that no one's going to disagree with. And so by the solutions we're building, we are literally creating such basic plumbing that there's nothing to argue about. There's no strategic advantage 
in principle by the solution. It just helps them exchange data better. And it's very basic things like that that are controlled. Once a solution goes live, we then shift that governance to the companies that have chosen to run nodes in the network because they're the companies that will have to take any software upgrades. Um, and they then become the governance body or rules about what, if any, changes need to take place in the software, in the upgrades of the solution. Again, have not hit upon anything contentious. Um, we can't change the rules around anybody. Chronicle themselves can't change the rules. It really is required based on the nodes agreeing to take those software upgrades. And we manage them, I would say, primarily on uh, what we're hoping will be a voluntary basis to take those upgrades. Hmm. If something is required because the solution breaks and it's a forced upgrade, we'll obviously work while the, all the companies running nodes to be able to do that. Interesting. So are you guys meeting like weekly, monthly? I'm just curious at like what cadence you have with these members. Yeah, we have, we have working group calls every other week to um, bring the companies together to discuss and decide um, the either ongoing changes to solutions, um, the design of solutions. Uh, the industry knowledge is there, but it is interesting that manufacturers and wholesalers don't, I would say, spend all their days talking about how they do business together. And so having these opportunities to really talk and have a safe environment to be able to explain, no, 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 that's why we can't do that. Um, uh, really has, I think, informed, um, again, a protocol that I believe can be robust enough that everyone in the industry can participate in. I love it. That sounds, sounds awesome. Um, can you tell me more about the FDA, the Drug Supply Chain Security Act pilot that you worked on and your experience and learnings from regulators? Yeah. Yeah. And anyone who's interested, the FDA has a website that has information about all the pilot programs, even those beyond ours that were done. But our initial work back in 2017 was to see, could we create that interoperable solution? Could blockchain help the industry? Um, and we brushed that work off last year. And we're really proud. I think we had over 24 companies and industry organizations participate with us to sort of kick the tires, right? Tell us what's going to go wrong. Tell us what we've built and how we've designed this that's not gonna work for small pharmacies, that's not gonna work for big distributors. Like every component of the supply chain and the size they are and the role they play has very unique characteristics. So it was really exciting to get everyone together and do, I would say, a really thorough analysis. It wasn't intended to be a commercial for our solution, but to really ideate on what and how could the industry come together? How could they operate in a blockchain network, not lose their competitive advantage, not sacrifice any strategic value they have to their companies, but enable the possibility to really uh, improve the security of the drug supply chain. There are a lot of work on standards and messaging specifications that have already been done. A lot of companies think that already meets the letter of the law. But in my mind, and maybe I'm uh, a little bit too aspirational, that interpretation doesn't eliminate counterfeit, doesn't eliminate diversion, doesn't improve the security of our supply chain in the material way that I think the law is designed to do. Um, our solution, I believe, will be as easy as the messaging standards that have been built, but create all that extra control to really um, enable uh, 
the security of the drugs in this country. Tell me a little bit about the the team at Chronicle and you know MediLedger and um, all the other projects you're involved with. What's the culture like there? So one of the things I am crazy proud of, and it's been highlighted a lot this month as people are having, I would say, deeper discussions about diversity and what's window dressing diversity, what's real diversity. Hmm. Uh, we take um, we it's Pride Month. So we actually have activities around Pride Month and we, we've had a dialogue at work about the ongoing events. But what is fascinating is we have developed a culture that I, I believe strongly, and certainly I, I beg anyone who um, knows folks at Chronicle to ask them as well. We provide an environment for everyone to come to work as their unique self. Um, in one way, we're a lot of kind of um, crazy strange uh, bedfellows, um, but we've come together and I think we cherish debate. Uh, we cherish uh, strong opinions, but we also want to argue things out and really find optimal outcomes. I, I think back to when I originally met the guys at Chronicle, we would sit in a room and talk about these pharma use cases and they would go, oh my God, well, we can do this, this, and this, and this is how we'll track drugs. And we would go, oh, my God, that's not how the industry works. Like, that's horrible. And we go, but you blockchain do this, that, and the other. And they would look at us like we're idiots. And they're like, that's not how the blockchain works. And so we actually have had patience with each other, with differing viewpoints and different bodies of knowledge to really bring together uh, the best thinking to really design um, amazing solutions. And I want to give credit to our product team who sits with uh, companies individually outside of our working group calls and has spent a lot of time really listening to how they do business, why they do business the way they are, and to see past, we do it this way because we've always done it that way, mm -hmm. and really identify how that data should flow to design really, I would say, exceptional solutions that really solve business problems at their core. Yeah, it's really easy to fall into that trap of that's how we always do it. And thinking in first principles is, is hard to do, um, mm -hmm. but I'm glad that you're doing it <laughs> and your team is doing it. Yeah. That's important. But back to the culture, we have a crazy diverse team. In my career history, I've been involved in a lot of companies with a lot of programs to promote diversity. And it's the first place I honestly almost don't think about it because we have such a nice cross-section of diversity in age, sex, sexual orientation, you know, religion, beliefs. Um, maybe based in San Francisco, we're missing some conservative viewpoints. Maybe that's what I still have to work on. Mm -hmm. But we've also made it clear everyone's viewpoint is valid. No one should ever feel that they can't represent their viewpoint. No bashing uh, allowed. Um, so we still have work to do. I'm not saying we're perfect, but um, I'm really proud for a small team that we've started from the right place. Um, and can continue to, to do better from there. But diversity of thought is super important and being aware and listening is probably the most important skills we have. Thanks for sharing that, I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. So we talked about some industry partners and um, you know projects that you're doing now with your clients. Is there any additional stories that you have or anything you wanna share with the audience related to uh, you know some industry partners that you're really proud of having? Um, 
Gosh, I'm first of all, I'm super proud of the companies who have been bold enough to innovate. What I think a lot of people back to sort of the bad reputation pharma has, everyone we work with so badly wants to serve patients well. They so badly want to fix what's broken in healthcare. Everyone in their heart I know wants to do that. Um, no one is trying to hide behind, um, you know, profits they shouldn't be getting um, and, 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 and messing up healthcare. It's just a really complex space. And often it's very hard from where you sit to have impact. So we've actually, I felt been honored that these companies are willing to work with us, honored that these companies are willing to sit in, in the room with their competitors and discuss how we can do better. Um, uh, I've had moments where I actually don't think it's, it's, it's real, that it's possible. A lot of people have asked me, how did you get all those people in the room together? And I can't tell you, I don't know, uh, except that we were in the right place at the right time and we provide the right environment. I will say Chronicled has been valued because we are a neutral Switzerland. Some of the larger players, as if we look at blockchain um, uh, solutions that have rolled out, when it often comes from a large company sort of driving and mandating it through their supply chain, there's been a lot of issues, right? Competitors don't want to participate in the other guy's blockchain. We've had the benefit of really being neutral. Chronicled is not interested in being a healthcare company. Um, and so we can bring together the competitors and trading partners. We can ensure no one gets an unfair advantage in how things are built. Um, and companies trust us to play that role. So mostly I'm just super grateful that um, people have been patient enough and willing to, to, to try and do it. And it's exciting to see them get excited at the role they've played in helping um, possibly fix some of these problems in healthcare. Hmm. So my understanding is that MediLedger is mainly focused in the U.S. and U.S. supply chain. Um, mm -hmm. But I know there are other more um, maybe European systems that are trying to do something similar to what you're doing. Are you guys speaking with them? Is there like a collaboration between your Euro European or Asian counterparts? We've had discussions with a lot of folks in Asia and Europe. I would say to date, uh, those regions of the world have different strategies of how they're gonna solve the problem. FDA is really looking to industry to solve it itself. Europe is an example. In their law mandated a EU level database and country level databases. So I think they're working still with all the investment that they've made to try and figure out how that can work. Um, so we're not actively working there. I would say our hands are full getting the uh, US sure. solution started, but our solutions are designed again on GS1 standards. They're global standards. So the applicability and the ability to move to other regions in the world should actually be quite straightforward. Um, so I will say after we've kind of settled with what we've solved um, in the US um, and all the learnings that'll come from that, it'll certainly be valuable to see because if I pick counterfeit medicine, it's a real problem in other parts of the world. Um, gosh, countries in Africa, some report up to 50% of drug is counterfeit. That's immensely sad. Um, and I know our solution could benefit those countries there, but frankly, it serves them and us best to figure out here in what I can say is a more lucrative market. And once we've got it figured out, uh, I would say I could imagine very rapid implementations into those regions of the world 
that could benefit more. Right. And I know this is still, you know, relatively pretty early on, but I'm thinking about, you know, the counterfeits that are probably going to come out from the COVID-19 pandemic. I just feel like there's going to be a lot of panic, a lot of uh, gray markets that are being developed in uh, not just Africa, but also in India and China and I'm sure other places in the world. Um, yeah. So the sooner the better, Suzanne. <laughs> I'm looking forward to I will to- tell you a lot of people ask in the US like is there a problem and I would say in principle there's not a problem in the US today but it takes some of these regulations to ensure there never will be a problem right, right? and covid's a good example we've talked to um, some big retail chains that they should use our product verification solution because in less than a second you can check against the manufacturer's database so for these covid drugs that may have a higher risk of counterfeit and there've been reports not just of uh, counterfeit PPE, but counterfeit drugs already. Um, it's an easy check that technology can enable today from simply a barcode scan that is just another level of assurance that the drug is um, authentic. Yeah, and that got me thinking about some other um, players in the industry trying to do something similar with supply chain. One is like IBM and their Hyperledger and um, their Supply Connect network mm-hmm. that they're building out. Um, have you talked with them? Like, what do you... Yeah, no, um, we've talked to IBM in the past, and I actually have been hit up by a few people who are very interested in PPE, I would say supply demand matching, and I've passed them on to IBM, Uh, super excited for them and the solutions that they're building. Um, So yeah, I think we have uh, spiritually the same ideas, slightly different approaches on how how to solve the problem. Um, and it'll be exciting to continue to work and potentially collaborate going forward. Awesome. So for the rest of 2020, what is MediLedger going to be focusing on? And then beyond that? Yeah. So uh, we, to date, are really driving based on where the industry has need. So our contract and chargeback solution, like I mentioned, is testing right now. Production network will go live later this summer. So that will be a huge amount of focus. It's a very complex solution. Um, So we'll take some really um, deep testing to prove out and ensure that it's um, working like it's supposed to for these companies to trust their pricing and contracts. It's very sensitive information. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's already being um, requested is there's a similar process of chargebacks on non-prescription medicine. It's called medical surgical. So it's all the supplies that are purchased by hospital groups. Uh, And apparently the pain point there is 10 times bigger than the pain point on the prescription medicine side. And this now is less about the customer identifier. That was one of the bigger problems for prescription medicine and who's eligible. And it's more so on how the products are identified. There's not as good and robust of product identification schemes on all the non-prescription medicines. So we hope to kick off that working group later this year and start taking what we've built for the prescription medicine chargebacks and repurpose the components of the engine while at the same time figuring out the nuances of how products are identified in that space and fixing those problems. Um, There is also discussion. um, Opioid uh, tracking is really critical. Despite all the other horrific things going on in the country with the pandemic, um, there still is an opioid problem in this country. Um, And so talking to folks involved in that to see can we create a decentralized solution that can manage and control 
suspicious order management. DEA requests this information. The wholesalers already provide it, but they don't really have the bandwidth to um, manage uh, almost that regulator um, ongoing assessment of the data and, and catch bad behavior. We can actually create decentralized solutions that do that too. So that might be on our plate later this year. Um, but there's a whole variety of use cases. Uh, the dispensers are now getting involved in their compliance with Drug Supply Chain Security Act. So learning more about hospitals and pharmacies has been great for us um, and to see the use case um, landscape that applies there. So yeah, we'll keep sort of following threads that are connected to our existing solutions um, and unmet needs to find out where our technology can be beneficial and we'll continue to grow use cases uh, beyond that. Hopefully next year, like I mentioned earlier, we can get the bandwidth to really round out our protocol primitive library and make that available to developers um, for even additional use cases beyond Chronicled can handle. We've had some great conversations with some really innovative um, companies on potential future use cases where they really have expertise. So we're excited to get the uh, uh, solution, the network and the architecture sort of settled with uh, what we're learning right now to make that possible. That sounds really exciting. Um, I'll be watching and following you guys very carefully. So that's, that's awesome. Um, so I have a few more fun, less technical questions. Like, what is your favorite book? Oh, my favorite book. Um, I have to say, uh, I don't get to read enough. My, my head spins so much on other topics. But when I look back, one of my favorite books of all time was uh, Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie. Um, because it is just such an exquisite use of the English language. It shows what's possible um, without being, I would say, so intellectual that it's hard to, to read, but just beautiful. If no one's read it, they should absolutely pick up a copy. Yeah, I haven't read that one myself, so I will check it out. Um, awesome. What do you believe in that most people would disagree with? I believe the impossible is possible. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have done what we've done to date. I mean, maybe that sounds trite, but um, we joke sometimes at Chronicle, like, were we so stupid to think this could happen? <laughs> but uh, it's exciting to see when you believe something that's impossible and you just keep at it, um, what can happen. So I'm a very optimistic person. Um, I believe in the all people and I believe uh, things are possible that other people don't necessarily think are possible. And it's working for me. That's great. I mean, I've only known you for about a month or two, I think, uh, since our last, our first conversation. Uh, but I sort of look up to you as a role model in the industry. So thank you for all you're yeah. doing. <laughs> um, who is your favorite president, favorite U.S. president of all time? Wow. Um, so a few years back, my family and I did a road trip. Uh, from Chicago to Montana. We wanted to show our kids other parts of the country. We live in California. And so we did some uh, books on tape uh, in the car, and I subjected my poor children to um, <laughs> a bit of history of the United States as we traveled. And we actually did a set of uh, books on our founding fathers. And it was awe-inspiring. Um, when I think about and try to put myself in their shoes of what they had in front of them, and what they um, attempted to put in place in the forms of our constitution, 
I'm in awe. I would say equally on the current topics and the, the, the book really went through this as well. They miss the opportunity to address slavery. It's actually, I would argue, an equal um, disappointment for such ask. I mean, maybe guys after my own heart, right? They, they, they dreamed of something that seemed impossible and put it in place and they missed the opportunity. They had the opportunity. They knew the opportunity. They missed the opportunity to deal with slavery right then and there. And hence, we've had 250 years of consequences after that, which is unfortunate. But um, I, despite those shortcomings, I'm in awe of a group of people coming together and putting aside a lot of self-interest, not all of them, but a tremendous amount of self-interest to do what was right um, that got this country started. And I still believe a lot uh, in this country and our ideals. Let's see where things go over the next couple of years. Um, but yeah, I, I would have to put the founding fathers in uh, in my favorite president. I know there's a couple of them in there, so I'm going to put them in a big basket together. Fair enough. No pressure. <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know, you're right. At this point in time in history, we are sort of at a, I think, a turning point or a sort of like a revolution, if you want to call it that. Um, so I'm very curious to see what happens as well. And it's times like these when we really need to come together and stop talking about our differences and start talking about how we are similar. And um, hopefully that'll, you know, lead us towards the right path. I'm uh, helpful. Me too. In yeah. my endless optimism, I'm helpful. Whatever we're unpacking, we're going to pack it up better on the, on the way out. It takes, it takes some of this revolution iteration to make that happen. Yeah. And I hope that we don't, get flooded with too much misinformation during that process. I feel like that's one of the problems uh, in our current society is just that there is so much information out there and verifying the truth or the provenance of that information has not been easy and we don't have a solution. I personally think blockchain will be that solution in some form or fashion, mm -hmm. uh, but not today, probably not this year, hopefully this decade. Um, I'm confident. Awesome. Um, how are you handling physical distancing measures? So as a company, um, we have the good fortune that we're building software. And ironically, everything happens remotely anyway. Companies do set up their integrations remotely. The testing is remote. Um, and so we really have um, not missed a beat short of collecting the mail at the office. Um, we've been able to handle everything uh, remotely. Super proud of my team because I can appreciate for myself included, just the stress of what's going on, the realization of what's going on can kind of be overwhelming. Um, and everyone's working hard to reach out, check in on people. We've got a variety of activities from company happy hours to, to some other things to ensure that everyone feels connected. We had the good fortune that our solutions were really in the final stages of design and development. So those, that, those are sort of easier steps to do remotely. Now, as we're looking at the next solutions, it's a little bit harder and we're trying to figure out new ways to be able to do that at a company. Personally, I have a college student who's pissed to be back at home with mom and dad. <laughs> I have a high school student who's adapting to online learning. Um, uh, it, I live luckily in a community with lots of nature um, and ability to get out. I would say fresh air, 
and sunshine is a critical component for everyone. And if anyone's feeling like they're losing it, I would highly recommend getting outside. Definitely take a walk if you're uh, feeling down. So Suzanne, that's all the questions I have. I really, really enjoyed this conversation. You're awesome. Uh, you know, what you're doing is awesome and I'm really looking forward to continuing following it and learning more. And if you have any final takeaways you want to share with the audience, well, Ray, I just want to thank you for having me on. Uh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. My final message to all the amazing people who are tackling and ideating on blockchain and how it can impact healthcare, I want to say, you know, all ships rise together. Uh, I'm supportive of all the projects. And the more we continue to have dialogue and discussion, the more we are going to piece by piece collectively come together with the dominant designs and how this is going to work. And I'm just super proud um, for the opportunity in my career to have been able to, um, to, to learn about and develop a transformative technology that is absolutely going to change the way things work. Um, and my thanks to everyone else who's sticking with it and trying to make it happen. Hey, y'all, you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors. Check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to Health Unchained on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, and iTunes. Join the Health Unchained community on our Telegram group, t.me slash healthunchained. If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.